Hey friends, this is Rob and welcome to question number 76. How did you become friends with Prince? It's my conversation with Andrea Swenson, a writer, a music archivist, and host of Minnesota Public Radio's The Current, where she hosts the local show. Uh, I mean, chances are, if you live in Minneapolis, if you like music, uh, and you don't live under a rock, you know about Andrea, you know about her show, you've heard her voice. I reached out to her originally to ask her, you know, what is a music archivist? Like, what, is, what did the transition look like from being the writer to creating this position, essentially, as a host of your own show and your position at The Current? What did that transition and journey look like for you? And, and seriously, like, are the rumors true? I've heard stories that Andrea was friends with Prince. Uh, but here's the deal. Just like so many conversations I've had on this podcast, it goes so much deeper than just talking about her life and her career. She ends up sharing some really cool thoughts about diversity, and as always, the conversation went so much deeper than I planned on. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. Check, are you ready? Yep, ready now. <laughs> Juice is flowing. Son of a... When's the last time we had popcorn? A while ago, so if there's a kernel in there. I have a kernel that's been like stuck in my bottom tooth for the past... It feels like weeks. Have you tried flossing? <laughs> I have floss. No, you haven't. I actually am shit at flossing. Do you floss every day? Almost. I... Lately, since my last cleaning. Did they, did they give you like the uh, guilt trip? Oh, no. I just I just told myself I'm going to be better. This time. This year. This time I won't bleed. <laughs> this time. <laughs> you do have the weirdest competition <laughs> with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Which is the best kind of competition to have, you know? <laughs> the competition this with time. With yourself. <laughs> this time I'm going in and I'm not going to bleed. Like as if you have any control over that. Yes, but the more amazing. you floss, the less likely your gums are going to bleed because they get used to it. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying the fact, the <laughs> thought of you going into a dentist office and thinking to yourself, this time I'm not going to, when they clean my teeth, damn it, I'm not going to bleed. There I'm will be than, no blood. I refuse to give up a dr- single drop of blood to these. Yeah. It almost reminds me of your uh, your story of you eating soap. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell that story that's so random? Oh, gosh. You said this would be quick. It will be quick. So this is a story that goes to show the strange logic that goes on in a child's mind. So when I was little, you know, if I was being snotty or something, a common punishment was to... Uh, eat soap. <laughs> suck on the soap bar. They, <laughs> one time they... Just, uh, pu- suck on the soap bar? Sometimes you have to hold it in your mouth for a certain amount of time. Like, we're talking full... I mean, this is like full-on cr- Christmas story. Soap a poisoning. I don't even know what that reference is. What? 
From a Christmas story? You'll shoot your eye out, that yeah. one. So poisoning. Huh, I don't remember that. I, he's carrying a cane. Uh, what is it, Ralph? What happened? Why, he's flying. It, it, it was? Yes. Yes. So poisoning. Anyway, so if I was naughty, I'd have to, you know, hold the soap bar in my mouth or eat liquid soap. That was very bitter. One day, I think I was getting ready for bed, and I thought, in my weird child logic, if I willingly eat soap after having done nothing wrong, my parents will be proud. So I took the hugest bite out of the soap bar. I chewed it. I swallowed it. It was awful. And I hollered down the stairs to my parents, guess what I did? I just ate a bite out of soap for for no reason or something dumb like that. And they said, why? And I said, well, I thought that you would be glad that I did. And then I threw up. (laughs) Were they proud? I don't know. It's funny because you were a kid when that was happening. And now you've grown into an adult that says to the dentist, look what I did. No blood. <laughs> nice uh, tie-in. <laughs> I don't know. That's why. That's why your soap uh, story made me. That's why your blood story made me think of the soap. Uh, hey, do you want a pint of Guinness? I believe so. By the way, uh, I'm holding a microphone, so you tilt, tilt the glass. Uh, hey, for those of you that are joining for the, us for the first time, let's let's back up. For let's th- wrap this up, actually. <laughs> we just I got started. what I wanted. Okay. Uh, hey, for those of you joining us for the very first time, my name is Rob Morgan. And for the past decade, I've been traveling the world as a bassist and a music director. This is my podcast where I sit down over drinks on location with intriguing people I've met to try and get past what it is they do to... F- to find out who they are, why they do it, and what I can learn from them. What are we doing here? <laughs> I don't, uh, what are I don't we know. trying to find out? My brain is all over the place. I'm joined, as always, by my wife, Sarah. Uh, well, he, well, here's the deal. This is interesting. Professional segue is that. Maybe I'll sing it. I, uh, the overdrinks on location thing, right? Like, that's what I've been doing with people since pre-COVID. Yeah. Or like the entirety of this podcast. Now COVID hits and I took a massive break because I was like, you know what? I really do want to keep most of these in person. That's what I love about doing this podcast is sitting down with people on Mm -hmm. location. Uh, If you want to see a map where the conversations were recorded, you can head to thecuriouspod.com slash map and there's an interactive map which you can pull up and it shows where all of these have been done. So I'm trying, here's the, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to ease back into getting together with people in real life to record these conversations, but I'm trying to do it responsibly. And And you have to be a little creative. Yeah, you got to be creative. you can't go sit at the bar. Whenever I reach out to someone that I haven't met before, I always throw it out to say, hey, uh, if it's somebody that we're in the same city, I will, I'll say something like, hey, you throw out an idea. Is there any place that comes to mind typically in the past? Is there like a restaurant or bar that you love or feel special attachment to that we can, uh, you know, promote on the podcast? But I asked that with Andrea and she said, well, you know, how about we meet at the Bob Stinson Memorial Bench? 
hmm. over by Lake of the Isles. Since all this is happening, that feels like a safe place to do it. And I thought that was br- freaking brilliant. And also just classic, classic Swenson. Can I say that after we've had uh, one one full conversation oh, now? Oh, sure. Classic AS. Classic Andrea. Uh, it was so brilliant. For those that don't know, Bob Stinson was uh, one of the founding members and lead guitarist of the band The Replacements. And he passed away and there is a you know like a memorial bench that you it's like a state park thing that you can pay and have like a plaque put on it so his bench is in uh, over by the lake of the isles so we had this conversation sitting overlooking a river but we not a proper- river well, it's like, it's kind of a river. It's kind of a... So like a creek that connects the two lakes? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's Florida. maybe like 100, 150 yards of waterway mm. that you... I mean, so the entire conversation, we were ha- people were kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding past us. Oh, pleasant. But the reason I say all this is to say, in my efforts to make this as responsible and safe as possible, I want to give a massive shout out to our safety and sanitization sponsors for the <laughs> yes. podcast. Do Nord Distillery here in Minneapolis. Uh, Just down the road from us. Love them. They they make killer, killer beverages mm-hmm. over there. Distil, distillate uh, things you can imbibe in uh, beverages for the adults in your life. Uh, <laughs> but... Also, just like so many of uh, so many distilleries all over the world right now, they've been distilling hand sanitizer. So we've been using that here on the podcast. I've been cleaning off the microphones and the gear between every interview. Uh, so, Dunord, massive thank you for sponsoring the sanitization and the safety of this podcast. Uh, you know, maybe that'd be an interesting conversation. Maybe I should chat with them mm, and say, yeah. "Hey, I." Like, is, what's the, di- how do you make sanitizer? But what what's the- different? You ask, but what's different? What's the question that comes to mind? I interrupted you. you but what's saying? different? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> okay. Uh, cheers, by the way. Tastes good. Are you tired of Guinness, by the way? Well, I haven't been drinking it every day. Unlike you. For those of you that are joining us for the very first time, you may not know, every day for an entire year, I am drinking a pint of Guinness and recording daily episodes for the podcast. Let me see here. What day is it? We're at day 29 of this. And I'm pretty sure I've had about 34 Guinness. There haven't been a lot of multiple Guinness days, but there's been a few when I've had it with friends. Uh, You're really just trying to see how fat and fucked up you can get by 36, eh? Do you feel... Do you feel like I've gained any weight? How am I looking? I, this past you look fat and fucked up. <laughs> uh, hey, let's dive before we dive into this. My conversation with Andrea. Uh, I, I'm right here in front of me on our dining room table. I have two books of Andrea's new book that we talk about here on the podcast. Got to be something here. Got to be something here. The rise of the Minneapolis sound. She did not start her career as um, as a radio host. She started, she considers herself more of a writer and that's how this th- whole thing started. Mm. A lot of her people know her for her time at uh, the magazine City Pages and so we talked about her transition from City Pages and how she essentially created her role at The Currents. That's pretty good. Where that came from, where that tenacity to reach out and say, hey, this role, this job doesn't exist. I've got an idea, uh, but let me talk to you and convince you that you need something you've never thought you needed before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that for anybody that is creating something, man, it just hit home with me. 
uh, doing things like this podcast, the writing on the outside that I'm doing, the different music stuff, the importance of having confidence uh, in yourself enough to knock down doors. Uh, but she tells a bunch of print stories. We talk about local music. Uh, we dive into a ton of stuff. The conversation goes deep. Uh, but here's an idea. This is why I have two of these books right in front of me. I ordered two from Andrea because one I bought for myself to read. And the second one is I want to give one of these away to someone listening on the podcast. So if you listen to this interview and you want to get your hands on a copy of got to be something here, Andrew Swenson's book about the Minneapolis music scene. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Head over to iTunes, take 20 seconds, rate, comment, and subscribe. Five stars only. Specifically, leave a comment so I can see your name right there. Uh, leave something about the show, whatever you want to say. Uh, but for those of you that comment between now and next week, I'm going to pick one lucky winner. Actually, let's make it two. Uh, I've got some swag from Guinness that I'm going to give away. So one person will uh, randomly draw, and we'll, I'm going to send you this autograph signed autographed, initialed, the uh, signatured book, book. <laughs> mail it to you. Uh, and another person I, that is going to come out of this random drawing, I'm going to send you some Guinness swag. I've got a Guinness t-shirts. I've got a Guinness glasses here. Uh, I'll check the swag bag. Maybe I have some hats, pins. Maybe if, maybe if that person lives in Minneapolis, I'll bring you a pint of Guinness. Don't know if that's legal, but leave a comment on iTunes and we'll be drawing for that this week. If you want links to anything Andrea is working on, uh, whether it is her book that's out right now, got to be something here, the rise of the Minneapolis sound. If you want to check out her podcast, the official Prince podcast, if you want to find her on social media or a link to some of the articles that she's written that I love, I'm going to put links to all of that in the show notes of this podcast and head to thecuriouspod.com where you can get links to the entire Swenson universe. And again, below in the show notes of this, you'll see a number that is for the podcast hotline. Give me a call. Send me a text. Send me a picture of yourself wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, leave a message. Tell me some thoughts you have, ideas, whatever's on your mind. You never know. Your thoughts may make it onto a future episode of the podcast. Okay, let's dive into it. My conversation with Andrea Swenson sitting on a bench. Picture this, sir. Picture a, a single lane path that leads from an upper road. You walk down maybe about 50 yards and you hit this park bench that overlooks literally three feet in front of it is a waterway mm, that flows lovely. right in front of us. Paddleboarders, kayakers, canoers were floating by. But this is my conversation with Minneapolis legend Andrea Swenson. Oh my gosh, this rules. <laughs> Doing it this way, I specifically got this recorder so I could, I don't have to wear headphones. That's awesome. Doing it this way out in public, I'm not sure if this is like the complete op opposite of what you're used to. Um, I've done remote things like this. Yeah, do you? Yeah. Um, right now I'm working on the Prince podcast. It's yes. like the official Prince podcast. It's like um, coming up on season two or something? Season three. Season three? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, season so two cool. was only two episodes, so it felt okay. like a little, like, little sprinkling, but, um... How much? How many episodes was the first one? First one was four episodes. Second one was two episodes. The third okay. one is eight episodes, so we're really yeah. ramping up to a lot, but I've been trying to go at least one 
per season have like a on-site recording of a monologue that I do. Yeah. Um, just to try to change it up. Like you said, being in the studio is can be so dry. And yeah. It feels so clinical in a way. Like that's it's, exact- too, it's like it's too good. <laughs> yes. It, it, okay. When you, I mean, I'm sure when you're doing the radio thing, you're wearing headphones and it sound it changes the way you talk. Oh yeah. And I feel like I've recognized in podcasts that have the, I mean, there's so many more exponential benefits to having headphones on because there's nothing worse than getting done with this and realizing, oh, I had my cell phone right next to it. I have like the checklist of things oh, now sure, yeah. to make sure I don't have it. Like this is pretty foolproof, but at the beginning, like headphones is a smart way to go, but it changes the way you talk. Like, it does. Hearing your voice, was it weird? Like when you first started getting into that? Well, so I don't have like any radio training or background. So yeah. everything's been weird for me. Like the whole thing is, I don't understand how this happened, but um, it's, I, I hear that difference yeah. for sure. Like I get in the studio, I put my headphones on, I can hear, I remember the first time I put like really good headphones on and was sitting in the studios at NPR and I was like, I can hear the little noises that my mouth makes that I wasn't aware was yes. happening all the time. Totally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just clear your mouth. Take a drink of water. You're yeah. just hearing all the, <laughs> the smacking noises. It made me so self-conscious. And oh I redid gosh. the first thing I recorded like probably 10 or 12 times. Yeah. I was just, just so self-conscious. And then I went out to my cube and I sat down and I was like, Oh, okay. I recorded my first yeah. thing. You know, my was first, first real thing, like, like for was it live or was it for? No, it was, was it pre-recorded, like pre- okay. and I was just in a studio by myself, so I could just yeah. obsess over it and try to get it perfect. And there, because there's nothing worse than having someone when you're recording or talking. For me, at least, if I'm talking and I do the intros, and my wife Sarah's in the other room, it drives me insane. Like knowing someone's listening to you in real time. Oh yeah, that's awful. At least for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so was it like a? I'm just curious about, did you get the job and it, you were recording for something or did you just get thrown in like a test run? Like, let's see how it fits. I was hired to be a writer, so yeah. no radio training necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. That's yeah. my background. Because you just come from City Pages, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So I'd been writing for a while. City Pages was my first like full-time writing job, but yeah. I'd been there for four years and was editing like a whole team of people and um, just in that print journalism mode. And then um, I actually approached The Current about a year before I started working there and I floated this idea of what if I came and did what I do for City Pages for you? What if you had a blog? What if you were able to publish writing on the website and actually like have stories about these artists that you play on the local show or that Mm -hmm. make it into your rotation and that you support? Yeah. And... It took a while for them to um, get that like all situated, but it it happened somehow. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's fascinating to me because I, I I feel like I just stumbled on your uh, your comment about you went in and just pitched this idea. How about I do what I'm mm-hmm. doing here, which is audio form. I feel like I stumbled on this reality of how things work in life. I'm, I'm 35 right now and I'm embarrassed to say it's like the past year where it's I as a bass player my whole career was people coming like friends coming to me like hey we're doing a project we're doing a session whatever do you want to be a part of it but now for the first time doing something myself and having my own ideas realizing that people don't come to you saying hey you're doing something really cool like I feel like if we had this conversation three years ago right and 
I just put all this assumption on your career. I would assume that you know you were a badass at City Pages doing your thing, and then all of a sudden uh, uh, NPR was like, "Hey, we want you to come do your thing with this version," but it doesn't work that way. People don't aren't. I just have realized that I don't know. People don't know what it is that you can offer and do something until you're already doing it. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes so much sense because I have spent a lot of my career trying to give advice to young writers who want to be yeah, okay. in this line of work. And the number one thing I say is, okay, so what are you doing right now? What what, what are you writing? Where are you publishing it? It doesn't matter if it's for a, a big publication or if it's for your blog that you just started, but you have to get into the practice of doing it. Otherwise, yeah. no one's going to know what your skills are and what yeah. you offer. Uh, how did your the City Pages gig, like how did that transition work? Did you land like the NPR thing while you were doing that? Was mm -hmm. it a transition or was it, how did that flow out of that? Basically, um, yeah, like a lot of time passed between my proposal and then they posted a position publicly. Okay, so yeah, then yeah. I had to apply for it and then <laughs> go okay, through so the whole thing. For proposal. Yeah. You're like, hey, this is idea. And then you still had to come back in? I had to do eight interviews with what? NPR. Yeah. What? Yeah. What do interviews at NPR look like? They bet the heck out of you. Um, I'm, I can swear, right? Oh, hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay, I'm like <laughs> so used to being at work. <laughs> uh, I love that. And you're like, I can swear, yeah? And I go, oh, yeah, crap, yeah. You totally freaking can. <laughs> Fuck yes, you can swear. Excellent. Okay, I'm, I'm like a free woman. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, I think because it was a new position yeah. and like it was so it was really going to change what yeah, they yeah. were doing. They really wanted to like run me through everybody. So it was like one panel interview with four people, kind of the big decision makers just at the current and then one-on-one -on -one interviews with all the like higher up people at NPR who I yeah. that, like, that was one of the only times I ever have spoken to them. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, hi. Hi. So, okay. See you later. I'll, I'll, I'll hear from you when you, when you fire me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> is, is it okay? Is it like that? Is it kind of, what kind of feedback do you get on the regular from like the higher ups with what you're doing right now? The current is just like this funny little bubble within a larger organization. And there is this vibe around it where because they're like the new quote unquote radio station, they, yeah. they've only been on the air 15 and a half years. And the other two yes, have been okay. like, the newsroom's been 50 years, the classical station's been like maybe a, almost that same amount of time. So we're seen as like this underdog, even though in the community, that's not really the way people perceive us. Yeah. So it's just this funny little like, you almost feel like you're in the like after-school program where you're sneaking into the studios and like you're the kids that are <laughs> trying yes. to make something cool happen. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh man. Okay. So when you say that, my mind instantly goes to, I'm just thinking about, okay, where have I felt that? And it, I totally feel that in bands I've played with this interesting thing where you, where you're at, uh, and the vibe in the community totally doesn't feel the same way as the external mm -hmm. people view you. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure, like you said, I mean, I moved up to Minneapolis in from Nebraska in 2004. Uh, and so the current to me has just been, it's the current. It, yeah. I just assume it's been 100 years going on in Minneapolis. And so I'm sure everybody is like, oh, yeah, views you as like this longstanding, nobody can touch you. Right. But you're like, we still have to hustle, maybe, I would just assume. Oh, yeah, which is, I mean, not to get like all the way real in the first 10 minutes, but like I think that's why the current has really yeah. struggled to like grapple with its own privilege like white privilege and like sure just power that it holds over the community i 
I have really been wanting us to have more honest conversations about like how we decide who goes on air and like how mm. can we be more inclusive and like what are the practices that we're following to make sure that this is like really something that's responsive to the community. And I feel like because it's within this big organization of NPR yeah. and they do feel like they're underdogs, it's it's kind of hamstrung that conversation in a way that's really, it's just like a really interesting, unique dynamic. Oh, that is real. That's super interesting. That thought, because I wonder how many people I'm no, I'm, I can't, I'm not even gonna put that on the people. I'm one. I think for me, I resonate with that in the thought that whether you're an organization or your person, I'm a white dude. And in my mind, like I'm just thinking, I I see the behind the scenes of everything I've done. I see like the hustle, and I see like where I want to be, and I'm not really where I want to be, and all these things that I feel like. Have you ever heard of? Oh, I mean, I'm just trying to think of the the word, um, the backfire effect. No. So the backfire effect is a um, it's a cognitive bias when you are having a conversation with someone say i wanted to convince you of something of say i say i was trying to convince you of your privilege or the gender roles or anything that relating to this my forcing information on you and being so forceful causes the backfire effect in you which which is when you hold on to your biases even tighter that makes so sense. backfires and now you're even you're not going the direction i want you to do which is open up and yourself and I feel like this, I've been obsessed about this backfire effect lately because I'm just interested in now when we are confronted with things like privilege and all of this, what in within myself is pushing back on the idea that I need to change the way my filters and the way I interact with people. And I feel like one of those things is one of those filters is the way I view myself. I'm, I'm just a dude. I'm not, I don't have, I've not been given life on a silver platter versus actually what you are in the community, your role. Right. Yeah. I think what you're describing, I've understood to be kind of like white fragility, which probably that term probably sure. creates a backfire in a lot of people um, of not wanting to see themselves in an emotionally fragile state mm -hmm. of not being able to like have an intellectual conversation about their privilege. But that's, I've definitely observed that backfire Yeah. <laughs> before. When you've seen moments of this organization moving in the right direction like what do you th what do you think it takes for someone to open up and see actually this is our weight and our role in the community what do you is there anything you've seen like within conversations that you've been like oh this is kind of working this is helping yeah to move um, conversation yeah i think i mean the the biggest problem that the current has or biggest challenge i guess is that they just haven't hired a diverse staff and the staff doesn't turn over that often it's yeah. a really small team. So even though I think as people, a lot of the team has wanted to move in a more like inclusive direction, we can't fire ourselves and rehire our positions to be more diverse. Yeah. So I think- um, <laughs> That's so good. It's like, okay, uh, well, we got a budget. Who's, who's like, raise your hand if you're ready, ready yeah, to jump and exactly. jump ship. Yeah, that's, so, that's a really great point. <laughs> But I think what has happened that's really positive is that, well, we've both gotten feedback from the community about it, okay. which yeah. they take super seriously because we rely on community support to yeah. exist. And as a staff, I think we've gotten more confident in just discussing it amongst ourselves and bringing it up with our leadership. And I think it's just become like a more normalized conversation to have about 
you know, everything from like, oh, we're booking an online festival. Let's make sure that that mm. lineup is really great and inclusive and eclectic or, you know, all those little decisions that you make every day about um, what song are we going to feature in this promo and who are we going to bring in to do these interviews about these topics that are, the community is grappling with. And I think it takes a certain amount of like trust amongst a team of people to be able to talk about that really honestly. Yeah. And just uh, you just have to get used to being like a little like feeling a little awkward about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're all a bunch of white people, and if nobody thinks about it, it's going to be mostly white men that get, are on everything that we do. And that's yeah. the majority of the submissions that I get, too. If I only relied on my inbox to program the local show, it would be almost exclusively white men. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, your inbox thing makes me think about you hustling. So like you're, you're in the City Pages situation, and now you're like you're the one like knocking down the doors of NPR, like give me a job, here's an idea for this thing. And now I'm relating that with the white dudes who are sending out the emails mm -hmm. of like, hey, here's my song, I'm hustling, I'm putting stuff out there, this is my next album. Yep. But there's so many factors in this. Like, okay, you have, it's on you, because I think that's a really interesting comment that if we don't, be in, if we're not intentional, the way it just happens, will go this direction. It's like a river, not to be like super, here's a metaphor of yeah. something that we're looking at right now. But I'm like, give you a heads up. Everything we talk about is going to be water related. <laughs> you know, I just feel like we need to bridge, bridge this river between yes. us toward two shores. Okay. We're, we're just going to yeah. dive in. We need to dive in. Yeah. Yeah. Get our feet wet, you know, just wet your feet into uh, the different. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like, you know, the, white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, however you want to like classify like the system that we operate in. It is like this river that is always going to flow this direction unless someone like gets out shovels and like digs little channels for it to go other places. Like you mm. have to actively fight against racism and sexism and like all of these systems in order to have it be any different. Otherwise you just get bowled over. Yes. Sorry. I'm like oh. getting on a soapbox now. What is going on? Oh my on? gosh. <laughs> I love this. I love, I mean, I I, I love I love what you're saying with this because to me I think that's a great thing. I, it's hard for me to have this conversation and not get in my own head because my, all of a sudden I'm going back and I'm thinking about all the conversations I've had. Like I'm trying to put myself in what you're saying, and I feel like what I'm really resonating right now with what you're saying is this thought of, yeah, the river on its own is not going to change directions. You're going to have to do the hard work to do it mm -hmm. because I have some. I mean, I'm just thinking of my own insecurities and my own fragility in my life as someone who has... All right, well, let me back up. Let me just share it with this with you. I don't know why I'm just going to dump this realness on you. Like, I've grown up my entire life, like, being the lanky, uncoordinated dude who grew up in the middle, uh, middle of Nebraska, super insecure. Like, this, uh, the second I even start talking on microphones, like I have all these insecurities for the past three years of working through my own voice. Like, oh, it's too nasally. I have even those yes, things. So oh in every, every, artistic, every artistic outlet I do has this, comes with this massive amplifier noise of insecurity blaring at me that I have to actively like either put an earplug in that ear or like work to turn down so it's not as loud. And it mm -hmm. never turns off for me. Mm -hmm. So I've had this life of insecurities and I moved to Minneapolis and I have all these like, like I have this low level hum of being, feeling like an outsider. I've been here for like 15 years and I don't feel like I've ever felt 
like uh, a part of like the local music scene. I've always, even in the local gigs I've, I've played for years, I always have this feeling of like, you're an outsider, mm. you're doing this. And then now all of a sudden this big conversation comes around where it's like your white male privilege, all these things. Now it's this, it's balancing all this insecurity I have also now with this reality and not letting my insecurity take over and be pushed back to the reality that I need to still be intentional does that make sense at all? It makes so much sense what you're saying to me and something I've been thinking about a lot because I have also spent a lifetime trying to overcome deep insecurity. I was a total dork in school. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> like I was in every program you could be in in the band department. I was just thinking about this because my band director passed away sadly, but um, like I was in the marching band, I was in the concert band, I led the flute choir, like I was just in it, you know, yeah, yeah. in the pit orchestra. Yeah. And that was what I did and I didn't talk to anybody. I was so painfully shy like I never talked in class I was just like a dork yeah, and okay I love it <laughs> that's my background uh, yes and a lot <laughs> of it is like, like I'm just picturing your interview is like so what's your background in uh I've got a bachelor's degree in dork uh, and I've got a crippling self-doubt a minor in self-doubt yeah <laughs> okay uncomfortable knowledge oh, yeah. in topics nobody cares about yeah, yeah. it's like <laughs> like that is my background too I I fought tooth and nail to try to get to a place where I felt like my voice even mattered and Ugh. needed to be heard and like that you read my mail this has just yeah. been it's been the, like my life story basically is and trying of course to, once you get, get the get gig here. like at City Pages and uh, uh, the current all that went away right away right <laughs> that's because that's for, oh okay checklist I'm good now it right? still comes <laughs> yeah. back I mean I'm still dealing with this today like I you know I um, I'm hosting this big podcast now and it's like internationally distributed by Prince's estate and it has a huge audience of people that I don't know like I'm not used to that experience and every time we start working on a new season and I have to record my voice again I have such a huge freak out about it like literally like laying on the ground of my office like what am I doing here and like who am I and why what like why do I deserve to get to even like be in this place and like yeah it's a it's a real thing but I think it's what's helped me is to realize that you can talk about- I feel about lame for <laughs> smiling at you right now because you're saying this, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this this just makes me feel so much more welcome in this. Okay, uh, go on, yeah, yeah. So um, you, <laughs> I just feel so dumb because you're like, you tell me, like, you know, I'm laying, I'm, I'm thinking about those things. I'm just, I just realized I need to like turn this smile off because I'm like, I'm totally connecting. Like, yes, <laughs> I feel good. like totally hurt right here. Okay, good. go on, yeah, that's sorry good. to interrupt you. Well, that's why I think it's important to be super <sighs> honest about yes. it. But yeah. so what's helped me is to separate out these tracks of like, my own personal journey of trying to be assertive enough to like express myself in the world and my acknowledgement of my standing in the world and the things I can do with the power that I do have, even mm. though it's very uncomfortable for me to wield that power and feel responsible for it. Yes. Um, and I think it's also helped to go into like a more intellectual place in my brain when I'm talking about things like white privilege and like, the patriarchy and you know really studying it as a system and it, no one's saying like it's because you you white man yeah, yeah. have done all these yeah, yeah. things wrong that we're in this situation it's it's a larger conversation about this world that we all exist in and yeah. the ways that it's hurting all of us yeah like it it the the system of whiteness is hurting us because it's erasing our own oh, history our own gosh. heritage yes. it's creating this like big conglomerate group of like <laughs> people uh, that's that's dehumanizing yes. 
Oh man, there's so much that you just said right there that oh, this is so cool. Because that's the deal, right? Like so many times if you're trying to convince someone of something, you're, you're saying, well, you need to do this because of other people and it's the right thing to do. But thinking like the empathy side of actually this benefits you. You're like the universe you live in is like you're going to be impacted better if you change this. Yes. That's so powerful. I don't think I've really heard that side being said a lot. I think because that goes away from shaming, right? Like, yes. Yeah. You have to get over that. That I spent like a whole year of my life being absolutely paralyzed with white guilt and not being able to do anything because it all like I described it recently as like kind of like the bends, like you pass into a new depth yeah. or something yeah. and your body goes into shock and you're like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Like I am a participant in this really fucked up thing and I have not been doing anything about it and it's awful. Yes. And you have to get past that yeah. <laughs> in order to do anything that's going to be helpful to anyone else. Oh, that's so good. And like you said a second ago, the... Um connecting with the intellectual side of your brain, looking at it from an intellectual instead of emotional. I would just assume yes. that like yep. those are the two polar sides. Absolutely. How do you personally, if you find yourself, like I guess you can't do anything until you recognize it, I've found. So once you're like aware that you're, you're, you're leaning towards that emotional side, like what do you do personally to um, engage that intellectual side of your brain? Well, I think this is going to be super like woo-woo, but... <laughs> In my uh, therapy and in um, like the readings I've done, I yeah. really relate to a lot of like what you would describe as like a Buddhist way of perceiving your just experiences in the world. So what I've been trying to train my brain to do is if I am in a conversation with somebody and I feel like I'm being attacked and it feels like I'm like under personal scrutiny, even though I know like they're not actually talking about me, I just try to observe the fact that I, there's like all this defensiveness mm. welling up inside of me and like a big part of the like Buddhist mindfulness is like you just observe it and you say it's there I'm not going to judge it I'm not going to try to control it or do anything it's just there <laughs> I'm not putting all my energy to push against it right yeah. and you just kind of like oh isn't that interesting because of my conditioning in the world I want to fly into some kind of super defensive like but I'm a good white person yeah. like I'm an ally my I'm, a, I'm one of the good ones yeah. like you, yeah. you shouldn't be mad at me yeah, like, yeah. yeah. it's like it's totally. not that's not what they're anyone's saying like yeah. it's not about you um so it's that's really uh, helped me to just be, put that distance between when I'm in a conversation and when it's feeling a little emotional just like try to observe that that's happening but not react to it mm, in the moment mm -hmm. necessarily yeah Oh man, I'm total shit at that. Nat, as like a naturally, like if you're thinking about the like the river of my like mentality and emotions going through, naturally goes down the stream of emotion. Yeah. And so it, it and that is that totally hits home for me. It's just weird how it's, it's weird when you're in a in uh, a crucial conversation. Like the the more serious the conversation is, the more important it is for you to realize this stuff. But the harder it is. Yeah. To do everything you're saying. I think the other thing that's helped too, I mean, this year has been so, I don't even know, what, there's not a single word to describe what this yeah. year has been, but, you know, the experience of watching the murder of George Floyd and the unrest and the uprising around it and the emotional outpouring of pain of people that have had a completely different experience living in Minneapolis than I have. Um, I think that helps to put a lot of stuff in context too. When I'm When I'm in a conversation with one of my black friends or one of my people that I know in my life of color, like it's what they have experienced every day is so much worse than whatever, like 
dumb, uncomfortable feeling mm-hmm. I might be having listening to it that I just have to set that aside and yeah. listen with like complete compassion and empathy to their experience. Like that's why we're so divided as a city, as a country. We don't know what other people's life experiences are because we're so separated all the time. So we we just lack this humanity and this empathy for each other because we're allowed to exist as if we're on two different planes or something. Yes. It's when people do finally come in contact with that other side, it's, I just at least have been seeing a lot where it's, uh, we put so much of ourselves in that conversation, which I really respect your thought of, whoa, whoa, this isn't about me. I mean, like, like, I have this balance of, okay, I'm not going to, I'm still going to be fully myself. I'm not going to be apologetic for who I was born as, but at the same time, like, this isn't about me and having, I don't know, I'm just obsessed. This whole podcast is a journey for me to define what it means to live a curious life. Mm. And what you're saying right there, I'm, I'm the entire time you're talking, I'm just thinking, hell yes, that's it. Like, that's it. It's being willing to sit down with someone and, and let the revolving universe that revolves around you and maybe take that and put it around them for a second and just watch and listen. Yeah. Can you think of like a story or time where you have found the most transition or you learned the most when it came to you being a listener with people? Was it a season? Hmm. Did you ever have something like, was it someone that called you out and you, it was like an overnight, like, oh shit, I got to be better and be more. I, that's an interesting question because um, there's not like a specific moment that comes to mind, but like I was saying, I've just been a very like introverted person, dorky person, like my whole life. Um, But there's something about both me and my mom where we'll be like standing in line at the bank and the person next to us just tells us their life story. Like there's something about our faces or something like we don't even have to do anything. (laughs) Just something. Uh, You looked at me like, tell me everything. It was like, oh, I'm wearing my T-shirt again. My tell me everything T-shirt. It's like that. It's like, what did I do? I mean, I appreciate your candor um, yeah, yeah. but it's it's just uh, my whole life uh, as yeah. long as I remember I've been a really quiet person an observant person and people just want to like tell me stuff so do you have an expe- <laughs> another, do you have a specific story that you can tell of a time where a complete stranger just went dove he- head first I mean it even goes back to like the first time I went downtown Minneapolis to go see a concert I think I was like 15 or 16 and a couple of my friends and I were walking down the street and this guy just walked up to us and he looked me in the eye and he was like you have such sad eyes and I was like thanks (laughs) and then he just like he just started telling me about his life you realize well I have been bawling at this gun (laughs) I'm just like a kid at this point and I was like yeah. Like, why does this, like, strange adult man want to talk to me? Like, what is going on? Because you're from Moose, Moose Lake, <laughs> yes, right? And yeah. so you're like, I'm in downtown Minneapolis. Okay, is this like a pickup line? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't know. It's like all these little moments like that. Yeah. But what I realized from transitioning to, from print journalism to radio, is that when I'm interviewing somebody, I let them finish their whole entire thought. Like it's, it takes a long time. Oh, I will interview yeah. I wish someone. I could ask this question right now as I'm interrupting you. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Yeah. And it's not conventional. Like yeah. this is not the way like podcasting typically works. This is not the way a, certainly like a five minute radio segment typically works, but that's just my, I've just become very aware that that's my conversational style is I'll kind of mm-hmm. like hang back and let someone finish their thought. And if you let someone have a little bit of silence, they will rush to like fill the silence. 
And that's when all the good stuff starts to come out. Yeah. <laughs> Is when they're like, oh, she's not saying anything. Well, anyway, this one time when I was a kid, like... <laughs> oh. Oh, okay, so because that's for me naturally, that silence goes to me. That is against everything mm-hmm. in my DNA mm-hmm. to be comfortable with that. Is that are you naturally fine with that, or was that something you had to work on, like intentionally? Okay, don't say something right no, now. No, it's just how I am. Like it's, okay. be, it's become like a just. I'm now aware of it, but I think mm. like it takes me a while to process what someone has just told me. So I think I sometimes will just sit and like think about it for a second and not realize that that's like weird and mm. awkward <laughs> yes yeah. yeah but then as i'm like catching up to what they just said then they're like oh she's not saying anything yeah. i'm gonna say some more stuff <laughs> oh okay i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna steal that because i'm the complete opposite where i i connect with i'm the slow i'm super slow at processing but then i translate it by right after they're done i like let's continue it and then when i listen back to the conversations half the time i realize oh i just missed the entire point of what they just said like i asked a question that had that my follow-up showed that i had no idea what they were really saying ah uh, that happens to me all Does the time okay. like i wish i could rewind time and uh, go back and ask a different question because yeah. they were like getting ready to open up and do something amazing and yeah, yeah. i did think of a story though um because you had asked about like, was there a specific time? And yeah, hopefully the, that wasn't like a prove it. No, <laughs> there was yeah. like, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, I have like a whole notebook full of blunders that I've made uh, in interviews uh, and like learning experiences. And my very first phone interview that I ever did was, um, gosh, it would have been 2003, maybe something mm-hmm. around there. It was going to be for a cover story for um, Pulse of the Twin Cities, which is like used to be yeah. the kind of other alt weekly yeah well we used to have a lot of alt weeklies um anyway i had this phone interview with mason jennings who i was like so into in high school and like just thought he was so amazing that's a lot of beeping oh my gosh (laughs) you're just in the middle of like the we heard you yes we get it you're backing up no one's behind you we're fine okay there's a weird truck it's fine it's now they're dumping sanitation. Okay, anyways, you're dropping the coolest <laughs> it's story. Dumping sewage so you're, into you're, the river. No, you're going to interview Mason Jennings. <laughs> Mason Jennings, yeah, yeah, for the first time. And I was 21 at the time, sure. I think. So very like budding oh. journalist. And I was terrified because I had never had the opportunity to have a like one-on-one conversation with someone that I admired so much. And when I was growing up, if you were like a professional musician. That it was like the coolest thing I could think that anyone would ever want to be. And I had gone to see him a bunch of times and yeah, I just thought he was so awesome. So I was terrified. And I remember that the phone call was connected by his publicist. And when I went back to listen to the tape in the like 30 seconds between her saying like, okay, I'm going to connect you to Mason now and him coming on, I just started panting. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) oh God, oh God, (laughs) like it's going to happen. He's going to come on the phone. This is terrifying. And then I had this list of questions I'd written down on like a little piece of notebook paper. And I just kept going from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And I was barely allowing him enough time to respond. And he was so nice. And he was just like, trying to probably make me feel more normal and (laughs) when I went back to listen to it I was like my god I sounded like such a loser like it was like someone had played a pre-recorded tape of someone reading interview questions and I was not listening to him at all because I was so nervous 
Yeah. And so that was a big like aha moment of like, right. Uh, <laughs> a big part of what you're doing is actually like listening to what they're saying and trying to respond in real yes. time as like as if you are a human being. <laughs> Oh my gosh! You just yes, that's right. I do the same thing. Uh, I can totally relate. Oh my gosh! Okay, if you had to look at your like your interviews with people, and you had to put a percentage on, like, what percentage of your interviews are questions that you brought to the table that you're asking, and what percentage are the follow-up tangents that the conversation nat- naturally goes to? So. Ever since that experience, I don't go into an interview with a list of questions anymore. I will prepare and I will write a couple bullet points of like topics that I want to make sure to touch on. But most of the time, it's just I kind of know in my mind generally where I want the conversation to go. And then I just let it evolve um, and steer it gently towards like other things. I would say with the podcast, that's a little bit different because I actually need them to talk about specific songs or like specific moments, dates, that kind of thing. So then I get into more of a, like I'm trying to jog their memories around a specific yeah. thing. So I'll have a list of like all those moments that I want to make sure that we talk about. But yeah, because you're crafting a flow of a story in your right, mind. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I'm interviewing like every member of the revolution. So I want them to all talk about the moment that they got booed opening for the Rolling Stones or the oh, yeah. moment that they broke up, which is what we're getting well, into right these, now. And you're having these conversations. Yeah. What? <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's um, so cool. it's been amazing because I um, again like I'm like how did I even end up in this situation? I could that's a whole other long story of like my very unique relationship with Prince Are you and the people to share? that work with I mean, him. Is that something you're like, sure? Yeah, I mean, anybody that like Google searches an interview with you can find that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like to preface it for me, I I moved to Minneapolis. Just to put like context between us. Yeah. I moved to Minneapolis in 2004, uh, and to study music and that was like the goal and I realized like I didn't grow up listening to Prince it was it just wasn't uh in our household music repertoire and I got here and I realized to me Prince was a calling card as I began to play with people in the local music scene people would say oh yeah that's my, Michael Bland. He played with Prince. Oh, this is so-and-so. They played with Prince. Yes. Oh, they played with someone that played with someone that played with someone. And they might have been in the room at the same time as Prince. <laughs> and it's like, and the first time I like sat in at Bunkers and they're like, yeah, they all the, like even the sound engineer was like, yeah, this time, like this is where Prince sat, this whole thing. So the Minneapolis, if you're in the music scene or you're curious about the music scene, you don't realize that until you're here and you're in it. Like everything has a Prince story. Everybody does. Yes. Well, and I'm sure that's true in every city with yeah. their, like, most legendary performers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's got their, like, brushes with whatever. Yeah. But so what I was think, that? Did you move here and you was that, like, part of your radar? Well, I remember him from my childhood. It's funny, okay. you know, I've become so um, just into, like, all of the little steps he made sure. in history and everything that, like, I've been studying work that came out before I was born and, like, his you know, breakout moment with Purple Rain happened when I was one. So I don't have like a memory of it actually happening. Mm-hmm. I did find recently in my baby book, my mom wrote um, in 1984, Prince, he's from Minneapolis and big with the teens. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like the epitome of mom. Thing, yeah. right? Oh, the, the kids are really digging his hip jams. Yeah. He seems to resonate with the youth. The youth. Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, make sure. Uh, <laughs> Check out the youth prints. So it was like, you know, so good, yeah. it was always like part of the fabric of like the world that like yeah. Prince was this 
hugely influential figure and he was from Minneapolis and oh. like I knew that much and when I moved to the cities was in the mid 90s he was going through a very um just he called it his friction years it was a very transformational period where he was writing the word slave on his cheek and he was really fighting against Warner Brothers and um you know calling himself the symbol instead of prince and all of that so I I didn't have like a, a real strong impression of him then other than I saw that he was just being mercilessly mocked in the media for all these choices that he was making. Oh, see, I'm not, wasn't aware of that. Oh so yeah. He, be he became like the butt of a joke in the mid to late nineties, which was really just such a strange point of entry. Like for me as like now I live in the cities and I'm like around his world. And then mm. when I was, um, nearing the end of high school he had started to make this kind of like comeback he had an album called Raven to the Joy Fantastic that had Gwen Stefani on oh, it so yes. I was like well I'm obviously going to buy that yeah, and yeah. Ani DeFranco and all this stuff and um, and then he started putting on concerts out at Paisley Park again so that was kind of my entry point as like a local fan mm -hmm. I tried to go to Paisley Park and see him perform I didn't bring any money oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> so I, they didn't let me in really? oh yeah. no <laughs> You're just assuming like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's like a cool out, right? party. I didn't yeah. know, you know, that it was, no, it's like an actual oh. cover charge situation. So okay, pause on that moment. You get to the door there and someone as like a bouncer. It's like, okay, it's a cover. $20. 20 yeah. bucks. Where's your money? And you, are you by yourself? I was with my high school boyfriend. We had gone to see him at the Excel. Oh. And then this was like, they told everyone at the Excel, there's an after party at Paisley Park. And we're like, cool. After so we party? drive from yeah. St. Paul to Chanhassen and park and like get there and everything, wait in this huge line. And we're like, what could be happening inside? Like the most famous oh, people in the world could yeah, be in there. You know, yeah. like it just seemed like so cool. And then we got turned away. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, and you're with your boyfriend. I'm just thinking about how embarrassed he's gotta be you're like, ah, oh, did, did you like ask anybody around? Does anybody have 40 bucks? Or were you just like so embarrassed that you we just We were both like, mortified. And we oh. thought about like trying to go to an ATM. At that point, that was like a new thing you could yeah. do is like try to find an ATM. But we were like, you know party, what? Like, it's late at night. Yeah. I think my curfew was probably like coming up too. So, oh like, my gosh. Well. Oh. Uh, okay, so you're having like you're starting to have like these interactions. Yeah, like trying to get into his world yeah. and like figure out what was going on. I was really intrigued by it. Um, and then it, it really wasn't until I started writing for the newspapers that I started like really trying to become more well versed on what he was doing now and what his history was. Mm. Um, and at City Pages, I wrote a few things about him, but would occasionally assign freelancers to cover him because I just didn't feel like I knew enough. Through City Pages, I started interviewing some of his protégés and collaborators like St. Paul Peterson and his band The Family got back together and rebranded as Eftelux. So I interviewed them and started reviewing like shows of like Prince-related people that were doing things. And then at The Current, they already had kind of this relationship going with him where he would um, give the station new music to debut that had happened a couple times. Okay. So there was like a Prince vibe when I got there of like, oh, yeah. oh, like Prince's manager has my boss's email and phone number and like sometimes like calls him and like, that's interesting. And then I really hit the pavement of like, I need to know as much as I can possibly know about Prince. World, yeah. This is this world. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. I mean, especially as like a woman in like the music industry you just there's so many chances for people to tell you that you don't deserve to be there and you don't know enough to like have a seat at the table so I'm like I am like in it now I am studying him like it's school and like I am I need to know every 
year that every album came out and like you know yeah. just like get into it and um it's just been this progression of like studying him going to more of his concerts really like observing him in that way and then having this relationship with him where he would make sure that I was invited to stuff and tweet links to my sentence. reviews this afterwards. Of like, you know, yeah, he was just making sure I was invited. <laughs> what? I know it's weird. It's yeah. weird to even say it out loud. It's, um, it started with this drawing that I did, you know, for the Dakota mm -hmm. show. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tell me. Yeah. Tell that, tell that. Yeah. Well, so it was, um, he hadn't really been in Minneapolis for a while, and mm -hmm. then he kind of like rerouted here in 2012, and he was forming this new band. So this was like the warm-up gigs for his new band. And I went, and they didn't allow phones. That was like the first time that they said no phones so cool. and no cameras, and you just have to be here, be present in the moment. And I had already had a couple run-ins with like... Um, like with the Foo Fighters, they had this really restrictive photo, um, like contract clause. So we, as like a kind of a protest against them, didn't send the City Pages photographer to shoot them. And I drew a picture of Dave Grohl instead and put it in my review. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was like a, that. okay, fuck you then. Like, yeah, a, you're not going <laughs> to let photographers, we're not going to send one. Yeah. Or uh. what they wanted was like, you, as soon as you click the picture, we own it kind of thing. Oh, um, okay. And that happened with, it's, it's become a lot more common since then, but we were yeah. trying to push back against it as like the alt weekly and being like, no, yeah. we're not going to do that. Andrew's yeah. going to draw like a cheesy sketch yeah. instead and that Very will be our illustration yes <laughs> like a courtroom sketch i was just gonna yeah. say it really makes you think of like you get, you get the jury over here yeah. and you got prince right there yeah so that was kind of just the context for like so i'm sitting there with my notebook i'm yeah. writing down the songs he's playing and then i did this little sketch of him yeah. in my notebook kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of being silly and i put it with my review the next day and then i got an email from his manager and it just said prince would like to own that <laughs> You're normal, just Tuesday morning. Yeah. I guess send mail one more thing to Paisley Park, Prince once, yeah. one of my, my drawings. And I can't remember the exact, I, it was really stark though. It was like, can we have it? It wasn't like, could you scan it in and send it to us? Could we like it borrow it for this thing? It was like, no, can we have it? That, the one you drew. <laughs> yeah. Find it, miss. oh man, okay. And I said, I don't know what came over me. I was like, well... You know, I'd love to come back to the Dakota again tonight. Maybe I could give it to you at the show if you want to leave me some passes. Because they were like $250. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And they did. They were like, fine. So they left me VIP passes at the door. I didn't realize I was even going to get a pair of them. I just went by myself. And I got to see another show at the Dakota. This, like, incredible, intimate experience of seeing Prince with 300 other people. Oh. And I was up in the VIP area. That's when I met Bobby yeah. Z and he and I talked the whole time. And like uh, John Bream was up there sipping some wine and like, it just like felt so fancy and cool. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And then what? <laughs> after that, it just, uh, it became this, like, he would have someone from his team invite me to something. I would write the review. Sometimes they would send like little bits of feedback about whatever I wrote. Always from them or from, like from somebody somebody yeah. was like hey we like this or was it <laughs> it was, was like it positive or what what's feedback it was, look yeah, like it was the positive it was like wow you really make people feel like they're there or like just these oh, little things where you're super like cool. oh wow and then super um cool. so that went on for like a year and a half and then i interviewed bobby z it's funny it all like ties back together and isn't that crazy <laughs> it's like 
I yeah, the tie-ins of life is so it's weird. Like someone left me a breadcrumb trail that I'm just following through all these steps. But so I interviewed Bobby. Oh, we had this re- great really interview cool about it, yeah. um about Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. It was the 30th anniversary of the movie coming out, or maybe the soundtrack coming out. They're like a month apart. I can't remember which one it was. And um, we had this great talk. I had him say like memories about each song on the soundtrack and then we were going to like play at the top of each hour on the current a different song from Purple Rain with Bobby Z's memories. <laughs> and that day as this is like coming out, he emails me and he's like, um, P wanted me to bring you to Paisley Park tonight. Are you available? I was like, yeah. <laughs> my entire year is available if you want it. What a, oh my God, what a sentence. And it was, I remember it was like six o'clock. I had a piano lesson that night, so I went to the piano lesson, and I was absolutely losing it and, like, couldn't focus. And but you I was were like, teaching or No, taking? I was taking okay, yeah. jazz piano. Yeah, yeah. It's getting to be such a long, convoluted story. I um, love this. This is my kind of story. <laughs> yeah. And like I just remember details. being like, like, I was like, Brian, I'm going to Paisley Park tonight. I don't know what for. Like, I don't know if it's a party. I don't know if it's yep. a meeting. Like, I don't know. What should I wear? Do we need like, bring 20 bucks this time? Yeah. Like, do I need, like, what's, what's the like, what cover charge? Yeah, yeah. And Bobby had said to get there at 11. Yeah, yeah. So I wrap up my piano lesson. I run home and, like, scour my entire wardrobe for something that's cool enough that Prince might see. Go out to Paisley Park. I pull up, and it's an empty parking lot with just Bobby Z standing there waiting for me. So I'm like, okay, it's not a party. I remember it hit the top of the hour as I was pulling in, so Bobby's voice came on, and then it went into the beautiful ones. Oh my and I'm gosh. just driving up like this is so real. What is happening? And I get I'm out of the car. <laughs> I get out of the car and Bobby goes, I think we might have hit a nerve. And then everything just plummets and I'm like, oh my God, are we in trouble? Oh, really? <laughs> are we gonna get yelled at? Because I know so many journalists that have gotten called out to Paisley Park and gotten yelled at by Prince. Oh, really? That happened to Jim Walsh. That happened to Melissa Merritt, uh, my predecessor at City Pages. It's like, it's yeah. a thing that's happened. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. I thought this was going to be like a good thing. And are we going to get in trouble? So I'm like absolutely panicking. This door swings open. What does the trouble look like for them? Like you come in and Prince is just like, I don't like the way you're writing about me. Yeah, I maybe. Like okay. I don't know. Yeah, in no. my head, anything's possible. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I never see the world <laughs> again. I don't know. Spiral. <laughs> I'm just picturing myself in that. I'm thinking, well, I'm done. I'm never working again. Pay Prince is you like, know, by the way, this has been fun. It was a good run. Yeah. It, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Moose Lake's probably uh, more your style. Head on back whenever you're ready. Yep. We've got a bus waiting yeah, exactly. to take you back to Moose Lake. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we go in and... The only people there are his band, yeah. um, Third Eye Girl, who I'd all met already. Super And cool. they were like in the loungy little yeah. cabaret room area. They offered me a glass of wine, which I was like, is this a test? Because Prince, I thought, didn't drink or allow yeah. alcohol. They poured wine. I didn't take any. <laughs> Yeah. Just to be safe. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then he came. Because you are thinking about all these details. <laughs> right, okay. Like, like, do I walk in with my, am I wearing a hat? Do I need to take that off? Like, <laughs> I, Well, you want to be respectful. Yeah, and also, it. I thought I was about to get, like, fired from life by yeah. Prince. Because so. this is the weight and, like, the th- this is all the, like, the legend around Paisley <laughs> yes. Park. I've never been there because it holds such a legend to me that oh. I'm like, I need to make sure even now there's, like, the museum, the experience there. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to make sure when, like, my first time going there has to be the right go when there's time. live music that's the only time it yeah. feels normal is when there's okay. live music happening because okay. there always was something going on there when i went there and really it's so strange now to go when it's quiet it yeah. doesn't feel right but so you, you've just been handed wine yeah <laughs> which i did not accept smell. yeah yeah <laughs> thank you this and we great. 
go, we're standing in this little cabaret area and he just walks out. Like there was no waiting. I'd been out there for dance parties where you literally would wait for like three hours for something to happen. There was no waiting. Immediately comes out, walks over to Bobby, shakes his hand and then looks me dead in the eye. And I swear to God, he was like reading my mind and looking into my soul and shakes my hand. And I say, hi, I'm Andrea Swenson. And he looks at me like, duh like i summoned you here of course that's who you are (laughs) we have your name printed on the wall right here which we do for every guest it's like called something mystical oh all right yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. um and then it just like slowly dawned on me that like there wasn't going to be some big confrontation it wasn't like i don't i didn't know why i was there but he just like had me come and hang out for like quite a long time really? it was 11 when we got there 11 we, at night yep 11 at night we hung out in that little cabaret yeah. room with the third eye girl members and then he took us into the studio i had sat down at one of his big overstuffed purple chairs like in this little room and he just came around the edge and was like do you want to hear some music i was like yeah yeah <laughs> so we go down the hall to his studio and he played me like his whole new album that he had been working on for me and Bobby. And he made a little bit of a comment on the walk to the studio of like, I don't know why people have to be so hung up on the past. It's not like, you know, that's all I ever think about. It's not like, Hey Bobby, mm. remember when we went to high school together or whatever, yeah. like in this kind of like mocking voice. And yeah. then when we got to the studio, he flung the door open and he said, this is what I'm doing now. So it was this very this- intentional of like, I don't give a fuck about Purple Rain. That was 30 years ago, and I've done, you know, 20 albums since then or more. And I have two more in the can, and they're going to come out, and, like, this is what I want you to be thinking about and talking about. And I was like, oh, Oh, (laughs) gotcha. Oh, that's cool. But it was very, like, it didn't feel, like, confrontational. It was just, like, this is my, this is where my head's at, and you can come with if you want. So we sat and listened to music being played at a very loud volume. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> over these like incredible speakers in his studio oh, and yes. at one point he was like is it too loud everyone's like no no uh, uh, no whatever. no sir <laughs> blood's like dripping out yeah, your ear totally, yeah. <laughs> oh, i'm fine I, I always convulse when i yeah. listen to music yeah <laughs> um so yeah we listened to a bunch of music it was varying degrees of stuff i liked some yeah. of it i didn't always love the some of the stuff he was working on at that time, but none of the stuff I didn't like ever was released. So he's, yeah. he's just always recording stuff. And then uh, we went back to the, um, they called the MPG music room where okay. we had started. And on the way back, he kind of just fell in step with me. And I was like, this is it. Like I need to hold this conversation as long as I can. This is my, maybe my only chance to ever speak one-on-one with Prince. And we talked for like an hour. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, about what? What do you talk with Prince about? So at the time I was um, researching my first book, um, yeah. which is about the roots of the Minneapolis sound and about the environment he grew up in in North Minneapolis. It's not just about him. It's about that whole generation yeah. of guys and um, women too. And um, so I just, <laughs> I kind of started like, dropping in these little like let's talk about that kind of thing um without saying like this is for a book so i asked him if he had seen a photo exhibit that had just opened of his first 
publicity photos. There was like something on display in Minneapolis. And I was curious if he had any opinions about that. And then mm-hmm. um, the his- History Center had an exhibit that had like some early print stuff and thought that would be interesting to hear what he has to say. He was really defensive about the fact that this photographer had an exhibit about him without asking him for permission. But he thought it was great yeah. that the History Center was preserving this history. And yeah. so then we just started talking about that era of his life. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to know really weirdly specific things, like what was your first instrument and band yeah. and like what radio station were you listening to and like what records did you buy and you know oh, all these like yes little things that I just wanted to know because that's not something that he ever like gives interviews about yeah did and it I, feel like an interview or did it feel no, like a conversation no it just felt like we were chatting and that's cool he had this very um, physical way of interacting with people where he was very like light on his feet like always on the balls of his feet and he would talk and then he would kind of like almost like skitter around me and then like come back and talk some more like it's it's really hard to explain he just like he would tell a joke and he would like slap his knee and kind of run away and come back and like he just had this very like light airy presence where I just kept feeling like I had to draw him back in to keep it going so that went on for like I said quite a while at this point he had a band um, playing in the little room Um, he had flown this kid up from Australia that he was found on the internet and he was playing guitar. He was great. Yeah. And <laughs> they were just what, doing a concert. That's how Paisley Park is. Yeah. Uh, for for yeah, Prince. Yeah. You, know? you can just never know. Yeah. And I like talked to this? him for a while and he was like, yeah, you know, um, every morning we get up and Prince looks on my social media and we'll like post a video from my YouTube onto his channel and then we see how many people click on it. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like you care about that. Like you're like, you're not just totally... <laughs> disconnected from yeah. where everything is like right he now. Wanted, You're still looking for new music. Yeah, You're like still, his band was super young and new. Yeah. And this kid was really young and like up and coming and he was just so, like he said, interested in like what's happening now and moving forward. Yeah. So th- the whole thing oh. was just like so, just so um, like down to earth and like casual and yeah, just like cool. Um, but then at the end, you know, he has to play his little practical joke on people and um he came up to me, the band was playing, and he put out his hand, and he was like, so do you want to dance? And I froze and was like, huh? That's <laughs> when I poop my pants in yeah. front of Prince. <laughs> and before I could do anything, he, you know, he whips his hand away and says, just kidding. And then he did it again. No, really, do you want to dance? Just kidding. And then he slapped his hand on his leg and, like, bounced away. Oh, my gosh. And Bobby Z was standing next to me, and he was like, <laughs> I think you have a friend. Like, what is going on? He's like, I haven't seen him open up that way or talk to somebody that way in so long. Uh, if Okay. If you had, like, picturing your best friend, if I were to, like, replace you with your best friend right now and I were to ask them, what is it about you that Prince felt comfortable with or hmm. liked? What do you think that would be? I think it was, like, I'm like a pretty mellow person. I think he probably appreciated that because he's extremely mellow. Like I didn't come in hot, you know, like I came in mm-hmm. and just like hung back and got the vibe and tried to just be super chill around him the whole time. And I think also like he just had su- such little trust in the media because of everything that he had gone through and the fact that the current wanted to hear his new music and like mm-hmm. cover it and 
play it on air for people to hear and keep up with you know all of the evolution and and creative progressions like i think he really valued that yeah that it wasn't just you know trying to come in and get some scandalous quote to put on the front of a magazine and like talk about purple rain it was like it was like a real connection and a, a admiration of like his entire body of work and his artistry so I, yeah. I, I feel like that was part of it I have no idea though I wonder how much of a feeling of, of just feeling used you must be as an artist on that level just everybody around you is just wants something yes. whether it's a blurb for you name it a moment of your time like just mm-hmm. something to say that for the story or something so they can or just the feeling of I mean I just resonated with a minute ago you said uh, you talked about Prince having someone take photos and did this whole uh, mm-hmm. exhibit without his permission it made me think of I'm watching um, the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix oh it's yeah. so good and in I'm at, the, I'm at this episode where it's talking about someone that had relationship with the Bulls did a they put out a book without Michael Jordan's permission and the pain that caused and I can't imagine the amount of pain it must be to see people doing things about you or that have to do with you without giving a single shit what you think about it yes you know yeah totally and I think about this a lot ever since that experience and things that came after that going out to Paisley Park you know a lot of the DJ nights or rehearsal jams and things he did out there it was like the same 30 people that would always go it was like his local super invested fans that loved him and were so respectful of him they didn't run up to him when he was walking through the room they didn't try to do anything creepy take his picture when he didn't want it they just like loved him and like appreciated being there and I really feel like Paisley Park became this sanctuary for him where it was so walled off from the rest of the world. You never knew what time it was in there. There's no clocks. Oh. There's no windows, really, except for in like his office and stuff. And you just feel like you're in this other world. You're in like say, Prince's world. It sounds like a different dimension. <laughs> yeah. You just enter and everything else but doesn't exist. But to keep it so locked down and mm. to be able to stay so private... I think it allowed him to have this space where he could just be himself and feel totally comfortable and free. And I've interviewed so many people that he's worked with now that, you know, the studio is where he felt so safe and so open and so free. And that's where he, he made it a point that his whole life was geared around getting back into the studio at every point that he could, because that's where he could really be him. Yeah. Just like a place of safety. Mm Mm-hmm. I could totally picture that where you just, the, the moment, I mean, I've had so many conversations with, you know, the big debate is whether or not the, the music that Prince has on lockdown should be released to the public mm-hmm. and all that. I, that, the question almost doesn't really interest me personally. What interests me is the, like, why that music wasn't released in the first place and what that says about an artist. And to me, it lines up with what you're saying. I just think of the safety of someone that goes, I can just be myself and record whatever the hell that comes to my mind that mm-hmm. I like and not have to worry about what anybody's going to think about it. Because right. it's going to go in the vault maybe. Right. Or, and I get it later, like I'm going to just completely, I've just been fascinated with 
if you're making something, you need to be splitting your creative process into creation, which has nothing to do with anybody else, and then curation, where you're like, okay, what am I going to put out there? Yes, Instead yeah. of, we're in a world where every picture people take that's on Instagram, everything, every song that someone writes, they pitch it to a radio station. It's like, I kind of miss the mystery of write a song, and you might be the only, that might just be for you in that moment. Right, um, right. So I just think of the safety yeah, and all that. Yeah, the funny thing about The Vault, too, is like up until his final studio album that he put out in 2015, he would go back and get stuff and re- oh, update yeah. it and make uh, a new version and put really? it out. Yeah, that happened all throughout his career. And I now that I've gotten so into the like scholarship of him and researching him and I basically have read like every interview he ever gave to try to yeah. understand like how he thought about things. And he would make comments like that, like, oh, yeah, I threw that one in the vault and let it marinate for a while and then took it out when the time was right. And he, I think he saw it as, like, he needed to create something every day. And what everyone has told me is that he basically never sang a sour note and never wrote anything down. He would lay down a drum part, bass part, piano, vocals, as if the whole song had already been composed in his head. Oh, that's The melody bonkers. would come out over it and be perfectly in line with all these other parts that he'd already created, and the melody would be, it would come out as a finished product. Like, he already knew what it needed to be. So it was almost like he was just, like, transcribing his... What's happening yeah, in his head? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's amazing. And he, I think, had this feeling that the ideas were coming so intensely that he had to work all the time to keep them coming out like he he couldn't sleep he couldn't rest if he knew that there was something in there that needed Mm. to come out so I think the vault was just a way to like store all of these ideas yeah and he didn't make demos so they just happened to be complete songs you know Uh, complete recorded songs yeah (laughs) it just happens that uh they are all just number one singles yeah and then filled with this oh my jeez oh that's so incredible okay i i there's a few things i wanted to really make sure to pick your brain on uh and but this is because i was like doing some like reading about you and looking into this before we were going to sit down and one of the things i was most curious about kind of has to do with all this has to do with um it was an interview uh, with Haley that mm. you had done. She'd mentioned that you talked about you as a music archivist. Yeah. Is that, was that just a off the hand, like put on you thing? Or is that something like you resonate with? Do you consider yourself a music archivist? Yeah. Um, yeah. Haley and I know each other pretty well. So she yeah. knows how deep my nerdiness goes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I'm a collector. I, yeah. Um, especially in the last decade, I would say I've just gotten very deep into wanting to understand like all of Minnesota music, like yeah. that has ever happened. Yes. Um, so I have a pretty deep collection of like records, 45s, magazines. Um, that's just part of my work. I, um, yes. okay. and I have the whole, um, archive of like CDs and one sheets that I've yeah. ever received since 2004. Um, and I can't like let any of it go. I just feel like no one else cares this much about this specific body of work yeah. to save it. So I'm just going to save it. And I don't really know what will happen to it. Why do you like, what is it about this collecting the music thing for you? That's really, I have literally never like thought about this before. It's just something I do. Um, you know, I realized 
I haven't been doing concert reviews since I moved more into the radio side of things at The Current, and I realized that there's just so much that I don't remember about things I've experienced. I used to go to shows three or four nights a week, every week for years, and the concert reviews are like these little time capsules for me where I'll go back and read it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that I even saw Eric Clapton and hated it. Like, (laughs) all this, like, (laughs) stuff, you know? (laughs) God, that was boring. Um, Anyway, (laughs) tangent. But I realized, especially since having a kid and, like, just having so much change and and so many different experiences packed into a short period of time that if you don't catalog it in some way, it just evaporates. And that is terrifying to me, especially when it comes to, like, my daughter and stuff. Like, I want to remember everything because it's been such a huge life-changing experience. Um, So, yeah, I, I... I guess I'm at a point where I'm like observing that I'm losing things, but yeah. I haven't changed my habits to like try to preserve it in a better way. But um, I think I feel that way about music with so many of the 45s and vinyl records I have are so long out of print and they're artists that never really made any kind of um, headway outside of Minnesota mm-hmm. and they're, they're just going to be lost. Like no one ever put even like their names on the internet and if I don't write it down or like save it it's just gonna go away and that feels really urgent to me like I just um I don't know I just need to like hang on to it and maybe someday I'll do some kind of project where it all gets accessible somehow oh man this is it's so interesting that you just said that so I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, visiting family this last week. And we went to this random rummage sale where we're trying to do the social distancing thing. And I have sanitizer on, all this stuff. I'm looking at things. And there was a section that had, there was an old Iowa record label, and apparently. And it had, uh, they had like the, their prints. You know how you, like someone take a photo uh, like a candidate of someone on stage in black and white, white border, and then say the person's name or their nickname, mm-hmm. then the, the name of the label, and then maybe they signed it or whatever from that era, uh, which I wish people still did because I love that. Yeah. Um, but I saw these and I had no idea. I'd never heard of these people. I'd never heard the bands they were playing for, and it just looked like a photo of um, musicians that were in their mid to late 40s on stage performing. And I thought that thought of, I don't know who this person is. And if this wasn't right here... I wouldn't, I, my universe path in life would not have crossed paths of ever acknowledging that this person made music before. Right. And they would have just evaporated. Right. The memory of them, right? Right. So I look at it. I did nothing. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I left. But you are someone that's like doing shit about it. So like, what is it within you that like, what is, what part of like your personality or who you are or what is it that interests you enough to go, okay, yeah, this is important, but I'm going to do something about it then. I think I'm just in so deep on this one specific topic, like yeah. musicians from Minnesota that haven't been canonized yet, mm. um, that I feel like, well, if I don't do it, it might not happen. And I had this experience writing my first book where I interviewed so many musicians that were active in the you know late 50s, early 60s that passed away. like. shortly after our interviews within some within months some within years and it's really not to be super grim but like it's really urgent that if we do want to preserve this history you have to start 
doing something. So that's kind of been a driving force for me too, is just like, you kind of see an opening of a part of like work that you could be doing that no one else is. And then you just start doing it. Yeah. And that's been a lot of my life so far, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. I really resonate with that because I think, yeah, like even this podcast, I'm, I'm trying to balance doing this. I'm doing an episode every day and I'm doing wow. uh, not like interviews like this. I'm doing one of these week and then just sometimes by myself or referencing things about a curious life every other day, every day. And I'm like, when I did this podcast, it was so important when I started three years ago, it was so important to me that I want to have people on that I'm interested that people have heard of like you in the community like this. But I also want to acknowledge that there are that every single person that you come in contact with has something you can learn from. Yeah. And so just cause you don't know the name of that person having a conversation, like hopefully subconsciously, maybe, maybe one person will like think differently and realize that if you're listen and you're curious enough, Every person you stumble on, you can have a conversation that could change someone else's life. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, maybe I'm just projecting this on you, like the same thing for you in music. Like you have, yeah, we have all these names of the Minnesota Minneapolis musicians that we know of. But there's all these people that if you'd go back and check out, this could have been your favorite band. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. I just think of, that. I'm so passionate with younger musicians, or up and coming, I should say, that like you don't, it's not about you putting your music out there. You owe it to someone because if you don't hustle your ass off, like you are taking away someone's favorite band possibly. Mm. And like think of your favorite band like just being wiped away from the universe. It's kind of like you're doing that. Like I get that vibe from me. Like you are connecting and you are like live it like this could you're allowing people to find their favorite artists that they never yeah. heard of or the most obscure thing. Yeah. Um, well, or to understand. Deep, but, yeah. No, I, I totally feel that way. I mean, with the newer stuff, absolutely. Like the local mm. show, you know, I, I'm constantly trying to do what you said, which is pair someone familiar with someone yeah. not, like new that you could fall in love with Yeah. and try to keep people listening through the full two hours so that they maybe discover something and yeah. then maybe hear something that they wanted to hear anyways. Um, so that it stays like interesting to them. Yeah. And then with the older stuff, it's it's both like wanting people to discover these incredible talents that have been overlooked or marginalized for, um, you know, mm. the reasons we started out talking about racism, yeah. sexism, capitalism, all this stuff um, that are at risk of being forgotten and lost forever. And also to put into context all the other music that we do know and that we have canonized because they didn't come out of a vacuum. Prince certainly didn't. He was a product of his neighborhood and his time and the musicians that mentored him as a kid. And like that to me is like so significant. And it not only does it like add a depth of humanity to Prince who Mm -hmm. like you to root him in a time and place is like really examining him as a person, not as like a phenomenon or whatever. And then, yeah, like a dehumanizing. Yeah, but, which I, then you cheapen it, right? You cheapen his creative process. You cheapen like the fact that he was a normal dude that had to hustle mm-hmm. and overcome things for anybody to hear his music. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I, I just watched, resonate you know, with that. His, yeah. His father was a jazz musician yeah. that couldn't play downtown Minneapolis unless he was behind a curtain because of racism. Um, and to take in that context at such an early age of yeah. course he was going to be super intentional about 
going to have white people in my band. I'm going to tell the record label not to market me as a black artist because mm-hmm. at that point it was a separate division of Warner Brothers. I want to be a pop artist. Like he had all these things in his mind at such a young age and it made him who he is. So yeah. I feel like you just have to like zoom the camera out and look yeah. at the whole picture. Otherwise, yeah, it's just so important. My uh, book editor said as we were starting to work together on the this book about the Minneapolis sound, he's like, you know, in um, like documentaries, they'll take like a class photo and it like zooms in on mm-hmm. the person it's about and you see like them as a kid. My book is the opposite. It's like it starts with it zoomed in on Prince and everyone else is just blurred out. And then the camera like pans back oh. and everyone else comes into focus. And I was like, yes, that is what I want to do. Oh, like, my <laughs> word. I love that shit so much. <laughs> that is so cool to me. Because that's yeah. it. It is. You like find that interesting thing and then you broaden out and hopefully you're doing it in a way that like keeps attention and bringing everybody into it because it is a bigger than one person. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. And every success story is like that. You know, yeah. it's not just one person who like magically, yeah. like poof, came into the world Total. and like changed yeah. everything. <laughs> I was in this in this uh, Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, as uh, and there was an episode where they had an interview with Kobe Bryant before he passed, and one of his things he said, "I hate, I hate, hate, hate anytime anybody does like a Kobe versus Jordan, like mm. who's better, like and asking me if you ask me that you're gonna shut me down." never ask me like who's better because you don't realize that I do not exist without Michael Jordan like if it wasn't for him I don't like my style how I play anything he opened the doors to that and it would be so fascinating if I were in your position I can't imagine how many times you're discovering door openers oh yeah that nobody knows about yeah like how is like I mean I'd like the thought like I just picture I picture you one in the morning in bed with your laptop like I in uh, deep in I don't know why I'm uh, this sounds really weird I picture you in bed very accurate so far yeah like I'm like I picture you in bed (laughs) you know uh, before this I just I'm thinking thinking about Andrew in bed a lot lately in bed with a with a laptop deep into Wikipedia Mm -hmm. and having this like how is why is this no why is nobody talking about this person how did I not know about it why is this that like a book written just on this one person. That exact situation happens all the time, except instead of Wikipedia, it's the digitized archives of the Star Tribune. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like in the 60s looking at like ads for no, venues. No, you're not on like whatever that's called, like the actual uh, reels, are you? That's how it? I started with the really? microfilm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That was how I started the research for my book. And then they digitized all the archives at the very end of my research of my first book. And I was like, Ugh. Oh, I spent bitch. literally days trying to find this one yeah. article. And now yeah. I just Google it. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could just a search engine. You just saved me three hours and carpal tunnel. Yeah. Oh, that's but now so I'm fun. obsessed because you can. Yeah. I mean, any lead that you have, you can just punch it in and. Can anybody access that? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, there is a fee. I okay, forget yeah. how much it costs. You can do monthly or yearly. Super I think, cool. But it's it's awesome. It's 150 years of newspapers, and it's both the that used to be the Star and the Tribune, so you have both of them in there. And you can look up, it'll search like if someone's mentioned in an ad. Yeah. I found a lot of the R&B artists that way, like they wouldn't actually have articles written about them, but there was an ad for where they played. So you can see like what venues they would have been at and stuff. And it's awesome. Oh man. <laughs> I can do that forever. Oh yeah. I feel a total kindred spirit with you and the assumption that you, I could see you being like me and liking rabbit holes. Oh yeah. Of just, and one of my biggest 
Uh, one, uh, one of the most heartbreaking things for me is the lack of tangible albums anymore because that thing where you're listening and you're like, oh, this person played on this album and then, oh, that person played drums and they played on the, this person. Like, the, the rabbit trail that anybody can go into right. while you're listening to music, we just don't, you have to be more intentional now. Right. Yeah, Spotify uh, doesn't have any information. Uh, yeah. Oh, I wonder if that's going to change. That would be... I hope so. I can't really say anything because I'm like, as a backing musician, of course, I'm biased. I'm like, yeah, put them all on there. But it's fun. Like the joy of, the joy of just like that search taking you, like following your own curiosity through stuff. Okay. um, I want to be respectful of your time. So I want, but the last things I want to end on are, I want to, I want to ask about your projects in the podcast. And then I want to talk about your inbox. Does it all make sense? Ooh, these, these, okay. these are just in my head as you're talking. <laughs> and it'll be fast. We're the, so we, you have another three hours, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so first of all is uh, the name of the podcast. Is it's called the Official Prince Podcast. <laughs> the pressure. It's cohesive. Oh my gosh. The Official Prince Podcast. No pressure. But you better um, get the shit right. Yeah. yeah. And then each season has its own name. So we did, the first one was Prince, the story of 1999. And that yeah. was around that whole creation of that album. And then we did Up All Night with Prince, which was an early 2000s, um, very like live concert focused one. And then the new one is called Prince, the Story of Sign of the Times. Oh. And that's why it's so massive, because he spent two years making so much music that eventually ended up on Sign of the Times. But he developed like four or five different albums yeah. that he ended up scrapping or like whittling into this one. And there were two entirely different bands that bridged this era. It's from the revolution disbanded and then he formed a new live band there's just so much to talk about and that's when paisley park opened oh my gosh um he had you know so much so many people working for him in these new areas like his own costume department wardrobe department his own what? you know business Are affairs you interviews with like, the costume and wardrobe oh yeah. department oh, yeah. oh that is so cool <laughs> oh that's so yeah that, it's got to be so fun it's so interesting i'm a little bit like I'm just so in it at the moment that mm-hmm. I'm a little overwhelmed, but I know once we get into the rhythm of making each episode, it's going to be really fun. Right oh now, I'm just gosh. like, I just hope people say yes, and I hope the interviews go well. I'm kind yeah. of at that stage of everything, but um, it's been, I mean, the people that he worked with, especially like in that revolution era, they're just such smart, like emotionally tuned in, cool people. And it's just so fun to have conversations with them. Yes. What surprises me from the the interactions I've had, like being on a gig with like St. Paul Peterson yeah. or my interactions with Michael Bland or any of these people in that scene, right? What is jarringly surprising to me is the amount of openness, like emotional willingness to not I, just in conversation, at least I've had, not just give the random response. It's almost just being the presence and like the gentle, there's something really cool and open about that scene to me at least. I found that too. And I think enough time has passed since they were in the Prince world that there's like a distance to that they can reflect on it in Mm. a really cool way where um, they've had time to process, you know, when you've just experienced something, you can feel very emotional. Yeah. Or you're still just figuring out like what your role even was and like where your ego fits in with, you know, this bigger picture and all that stuff. And to talk to someone who's, you know, most prolific time with Prince was 30 some years ago. Like that's a lot of time to reflect on something. So they have really Jeez. cool stuff to say about yeah. it. Like really smart, really That distance cool would be really cool. You're not in the middle of it. You're it almost, I could almost see like a, 
I like I don't want to say project like an ego thing. I'm just like a softening. Like as time goes by, the ego softens about things, and you get like perspective, and like the it'd be really cool. I'm really pumped to check this podcast out because I just fun. think the perspective, yeah, and stories, yeah. And there's the cool thing is like new stories are still emerging all the time. So yeah. it's like for me, you know, I I as an archivist or historian or however you want to say it, like that is just so exciting. Like yeah any conversation that I have with any of these people could unveil like a new anecdote about Prince that nobody knows, yeah. you know, like that's just great. And it puts everything in more context mm-hmm. and you understand where certain songs came from or like why they sound the way they sound or why he's so emotional on certain moments. You know, it's just, I love that stuff. Do you listen to the, uh, the podcast song exploder? Yes. Ugh. I just imagine you're living that life where you're like, Oh, and this is where we started this. This is the reason we end up calling it the, just, a life of getting to have those conversations it sounds fascinating yeah but also yeah. i think from the inside it sounds exhausting the amount of it time is. and sorting through <laughs> and like archiving so i think it's just so cool the amount of work you're willing to put into the things no one will ever see like the google docs oh yeah organizing your stuff my uh, downloads folder right now is a nightmare <laughs> oh man I believe it. Uh, okay, so I'm going to put links to this stuff in the show notes uh, of this and a link to your book if people want to check awesome. it out. Yeah. Uh, the name of the book. Got to be something here, The Rise of the Minneapolis Sound. You're working on another book. I am. When's that? Like, Do you have like a deadline? Or? I'm so early into okay. the process. It's, um, it's going to be about the kind of like women pioneers in yeah. the rock scene. So oh. um, it starts in the 60s with the first all-women garage rock band in the country was in Fulda, Minnesota, which is so fun. Three of them are like ready to talk to me and I'm super excited for that interview. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so fun. Yeah. We were going to get together in April. Of course that didn't happen because of everything, but, um, yeah, I'm excited about that. And then it'll go through the seventies and early eighties is kind of the that time period I'm looking at. It's so badass. That's super cool. I'm trying to think, I was thinking about how I want to end this. And while I have you here, you've got such a, like, you've got the coolest perspective to me uh, because you have this, you're diving into the archives and the history of music, but you're, you're actually like, you're not just in that world. You're in like the, the current, mm-hmm. no pun intended, but like the modern, like what's happening right now. And I was really interested at the beginning of this, you were talking about, you know, uh, diversity. We're talking about white privilege and you said, and I think it's really easy for people to think about what we should do to amplify the voices of others. And right. I think that is what I'm thinking about a lot lately with this podcast is how can I use my platform? Right. But if you also said something really unique too about your inbox is full of white dudes that yes. send you emails. Yes. If there was someone listening to this right now who's an up-and-coming artist or singer-songwriter or they have a band and they are not a white dude that's emailing everybody, hustle. And I've, if, so, I'm, tons of white dudes are listening to it. I'm like, yes, be proud of the music you have. Hustle. Don't quit emailing. Right. S- keep pounding people down. Now, if you had to speak or if you had advice for someone that didn't fit into that demographic, someone, a person of color or a woman or someone that uh, identifies as something other than cisgender mm-hmm. white dude, mm-hmm. like what's your advice for someone? Well, that's the longest winded 
question ever. I gotta work on shorter it's okay. questions. I do but the does same that make thing. sense? I like try to explain yeah. where my, I'm coming from when I'm asking a question. This question starts when I was five <laughs> yes. in like Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take Buckle you back. Up. It's going to be about 15 <laughs> minutes. Up, yeah. <laughs> does that question make sense? Yes. And what would you, well, like, what does that just bring to the front of your mind? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. Yeah. So there was a festival that was held online earlier this year called the Vel- Valkyrie Music Festival. Yeah. And there's a collective that's forming of a bunch of women artists and non-binary artists. And they asked me to deliver the keynote yeah. to like get the day started before all these performances. And um, the biggest thing I could think to say was that it's just been so striking as a person who's like a quote unquote gatekeeper to see who feels confident enough to even approach me and feels like they even might belong on the radio and in front of people and have their voice heard. And Part of that solution is, yes, if you don't fit that description, absolutely take advantage of the fact that there are people that want to hear from you and that there are tons of white dudes out there that are willing to pound down the door every time they do anything in music, whether it's like book a residency, have a cup of coffee with somebody. I mean, I get so many emails that I'm like, this isn't news. Yeah. You're just keeping me in the loop. Um, hey, just want to let you know that I, I went back in the studio and started, you know, re- recording another track to this album. Okay. But they're conditioned to believe that, like, people need to know all of these things about mm. them and to be informed of what they're doing and that they, they just have been conditioned to believe that their voice is important and needs to be heard. And so many of us aren't raised that way. And... I think it's really helpful to keep that in mind. Like, there was a button going around a while ago, like, Lord grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man, <laughs> which oh, I think is really yeah. funny. Yeah. But it's it's that. It's like, they're doing it anyway, and they will go for jobs they aren't qualified for. They will apply for residencies that don't even fit the work that they're doing. They will pound down the doors about every little move that they're making in their career, you may as well try that. And also, I think on the other end, people that are in these positions of being gatekeepers need to understand that dynamic. Like, mm. there are so many guys that are comfortable going straight over my head to my boss if I don't respond to them right away and raising a stink that they haven't gotten a reply. And I get over 1,500 submissions a year. Like, I, I can't... <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. I literally don't. Do you want me to double the speed? Like a podcast, you can double the speed listening to right. it. Am I going to do that to your song? Should I just start doing this crushing tunes at double speed? So it's what yeah. I've been trying to drill in from my point of view in the inner workings of where I am and, and with my peers in my industry is that you have to understand and like analyze who's approaching you mm. and who isn't and you need to do something proactive as well. Like it has to happen on both sides. People need to get to the point where they feel confident enough to assert themselves and try to go after those opportunities and the people that are giving the opportunities need to find different ways of interacting with mm. people so that it feels more inviting, so that they feel like they do belong and are welcome. Yeah. A big thing that I've done since working at The Current is I'll just have musicians come to the studio and, like, show them around. Like, this should feel accessible to you. This is public media. Like, this shouldn't feel like some 
you know, roped off place that's only for a certain set of people. Like yeah. you could very well do a session in here and it would sound beautiful and we would treat you so well. And like, why not? You know, like everyone should feel like that's possible. I love this. I love what, I love this. And because one of the things that's coming to mind is I'm loving the tie-in to the beginning of this conversation about the defensiveness and the mm-hmm. energies that come up because you saying this and I'm instantly as a white dude, uh, like I'm instantly going, I am too nervous. Like I toured with one of the, I was the MD with one of the biggest like pop acts that came out of Minnesota in the past few years. But even I still have to work through like the guts. And so you saying this is so powerful to be, I just hope, my biggest hope is that someone listening to this, you're never going to get to a place where you feel like you are Prince and that you can just snap your fingers and make everything happen. There's a certain amount of getting over your insecurities or your hesitation. And if you are at a disadvantage, a certain amount of knocking down doors and making shit happen. Uh, and so for me, having you on, it's so cool. I get so pumped because it's like the permission that you're giving. It's like, yeah, yeah. send an email. Totally. Like, don't be embarrassed to like, because I don't know what it is that the hesitation that's like, oh, I don't want to annoy you. Yeah. You're busy. This I hear that from women a lot. It's Do like you? you aren't. You're not. <laughs> this is literally my job. Like I yeah. get paid to read these emails and listen to this music and put together this radio show. So yeah. it's, um, there's, yeah, you couldn't possibly be inconveniencing me because this is literally my job. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. This rules. I genuinely could, I could talk with you for the rest of the afternoon. Uh, but I, I just, I, I'm so fascinated by your balance between um, having your own voice while amplifying others yeah. voices. And I think that's the coolest thing to me. Uh, so there's like a level of like confidence in your own voice that has to happen, I believe, for you to be, be able to like, okay, now I can focus on other people. And so right. Right. I can amplify them, right? Absolutely. So to me, I think you, you just have the most badass balance of that. And so I'm, I just like, I'm so fascinated by everything you're doing. Thank you for making time for this. Do you have interviews you're doing today? I do. I'm interviewing Susanna Melvoin this afternoon. She's so amazing. Oh my gosh. She was Prince's fiance, 1985 yeah. to 87. They built a house together and that's where uh, his home studio was when he recorded uh, the Ballad of Dorothy Parker, yeah. Starfish and Coffee, Slow Love forever in my life like all these songs that are on yeah. sign of the times and she is just like we were saying just one of those like so deeply in tune emotionally and so intelligent and yeah. able to like reflect on her experiences in this really poetic way i'm i just can't wait i'm just gonna cry for like an hour and a half while oh she talks. my gosh it's so <laughs> well um that uh, like this time i just take as like this is such a personal gift to me that you took time out of your day Aww. like you're going into this thank you for making time yeah for this I know it's so easy to get talked out. So thank you for giving me so much of your energy today and bit like presence here. It's really nice to be out in the world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I do feel like it just feel, it feels normal. Weirdly. I know. I and do- there's like people have just been kayaking past this whole entire time. Yeah. And like, I love that there's this many people that go rent a kayak on a Monday. Like Dude, I need to I get know. on that <laughs> level. Where are these people coming from? I love those. I do feel a little uncomfortable that we have been sitting on the opposite sides of this river this entire time and that you requested this full hazmat suit that I'm wearing. <laughs> Other than that, this has been a pleasure. Hello, hello. Why does it sound like they're shouting this whole podcast? <laughs>
This is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. If you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show. I'll show. (laughs) Also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at the Rob Morgan, whatever. You, you, you know the drill. All right. Enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, <laughs> I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast or else I'd have to tell you podcasting makes me thirsty and nothing quenches a podcast thirst, whether you're listening, uh, interviewing, editing, recording, listening to something unrelated to a podcast. Nothing quenches a thirst like a Guinness. Hey, Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. All right. That's it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that crap. All right. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? Thanks for being here. Say the most random thing you can think of. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>